don't you love the deaf ministry we're kicking off today in a big way? And um, I am so excited for uh, all of the people who are a part of it and what we can do to minister in our area in a more amazing way. And, and so we're just thrilled about that happening. But, but what I want to share with you right now is that we only have a limited amount of time. And we've been talking about the fact that the wise person will live like they're dying. Uh, that if you only had 30 days to live, what would you do? What is it that you would really focus on? And, and what would you pour yourself into you? And, and who would you talk with? And how would you love and live? And, and, and so that's what we've been talking about. And we're going to keep talking about over the next month or so. And really asking us to think about it. In Psalm 90 verse 12, uh, David said these words. He said, Lord... Teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Know that we only have a limited period of time. Know that nobody was guaranteed a long, 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 long life. And that everybody here today, we, our time is limited and we need to use it as wisely as possible. And so what we began to talk about uh, last week is, is we need to be aware of that. And what I want to have you grab hold of this week is if I knew and you knew you only had a limited period of time, if, if the doctor looked me in the eye and said, Chuck, you got 30 days, that I could tell you what I would do. I would want to live with passion. I would want to live it to the fullest. I, I would want to throw myself into it completely. I'm not counseling anybody else here, but let me just tell you some of my thought process, and I think many of you are in agreement. If the doctor said we could try kind of these heroic measures that would extend your life for six months, but I found out that that would be a life where I'd be tired, a life where I couldn't enjoy myself, a life I couldn't live to the fullest, I would tell them no. Because what I'm interested in is not the quantity of life. What I'm interested in is the quality of life. And you know what? God wants you to live a quality life. He wants you to live it to the fullest. Um, Pam and I, uh, when our kids were little, got involved in something. And it was the sporting card collections. And so a friend of mine had saved cards over the years. And literally, they started to amass in value. And he started being able to pay big chunks of his kids' college uh, based on sports cards. And so as we began to dive into it, and, and I don't know about you, but I'm a sports fan, by the way, USC. Uh, uh, so, um, yeah, go Trojans. But anyway, uh, uh, what happened is, is one of my all-time favorite athletes begins to play. His name was Bo Jackson. I don't know if you remember Bo Jackson. Uh, he was going to be uh, a truly two-sport athlete, uh, an incredible baseball player who could hit the ball almost further than anybody else. And plus, he had the ability just with the strength to break a baseball bat in two, which has nothing to do with playing the game, but it looked cool. And, uh, and the other thing is he began to play football. And uh, he played for the Los Angeles Raiders. Well, we got his rookie cards. And we got sets of cards by him. And I said, Pam, when he is in the Baseball Hall of Fame and the Football Hall of Fame, these cards are going to soar in value. Well, I'm watching the Los Angeles Raiders play the Cincinnati Bengals. And Bo Jackson does what he very often did. He went into the middle, hit hard, broke through, and he's breaking out for a long, long run. I mean, he's flying down the field. And as big as he was, no one's going to catch Bo Jackson. But as he's coming into the end zone, he lets up. And one of the defensive backs who was chasing him dove and hit him. And even though he scored the touchdown, he went down hard and he didn't come up too quick. And what happened in that moment is he suffered a career-ending injury. His football days were over. His baseball days were hampered and limited. And, and one of the greatest athletes to ever play either sport now, he's found himself not able to fulfill the end of his career. And here's why. Because he let up. He let up. He didn't run it through. 
Everybody who coaches football, what do you tell the players to do? You run till the play's over. You run till you hear the whistle. You run it through. And had he run it through, he would have not had that occur to him. But because he let up, boom, life took its toll. Now, I want to have you think about this. If you're in football, uh, all you know this, if you're about to be hit, they tell you don't tense up. Because when you tense up, that's when the injury occurs. And by the way, if you're going to hit somebody in football, what do the coaches tell you? Use the right form, but you hit them. You drive through the person. Because if you hold back and you let up, you're going to get hurt. And see, I want to tell you, that's really what God is saying to us in life. You're going to hear me talk later about the Apostle Paul saying, if you're going to throw a punch, you land the punch. Uh, if you're going to run, you run. You, you don't hold back. And we need to be people who understand that's what life is about. If you're going to live and you're going to live a godly life, you live it with passion and you don't hold back. It was a few years ago when I was still at Christ Church of the Valley that God used Pam and I to come into contact with three uh, uh, guys who had moved down here from the Seattle area. And they both, all three of them started talking to us and sharing with us. And Pam and I and a few other people started sharing Christ with them. And I'll never forget when they made their decision for Christ. And they came up and said, we want to get baptized. And Chuck, would you baptize us? And, and my answer was yes, immediately, excitedly. But what I need to let you know is that Christ Church of the Valley then, the only baptistry we had was a pool on our property that was outside and not heated. And this is the middle of winter. So we're going to baptize people in a cold pool. Well, they've called their family. Their families are coming down from Seattle to see this. And what happens is that day comes and it's one of the coldest days of the year. But they're going to get baptized at night. And, and a storm set in. And so here we have the evening service and we end it by going out for the baptisms. And we walk outside and it's actually kind of sprinkling and misting. And you walk out and your, your breath starts going out in smoke. And, and I looked at these guys and I said, are you sure you want to be baptized tonight? And they looked at me and said, yeah, we're from Seattle. It's no big deal. And I said, I'm from California. It's going to be a big deal. <laughs> and, and we walk up there and people are gathering around and huddling up and shivering. And I reached down and touched that pool and the water was ice cold. Now I've got to get in this water and baptize these three guys. And it's not going to be a quick moment. And I mean, I'm going to be in there a while with them, right? And, and so I know it, it, I got to get in. And, and by the way, let me ask you a question. If I'm going to get in a pool that cold, how do you get into it? Yeah, you just jump in, right? You don't just go, oh, I mean, I, that's, that's, that's not going to work. So, plus these guys want the focus on their baptism. So I thought, all right, here it goes. And I jump into the pool. And when I hit the water, man, my lungs got shocked. My heart stopped for a moment, I think. And, uh, and, and I'm like, ah, do you believe that? You, you know, and, uh, and, and so, and, and I'm baptizing them. But I got to tell you something. It was one of the most amazing, amazing experiences ever. Man, the celebration, the excitement, the joy. I, I mean, something happened on that cold night. But if you're going to get into cold water, you got to dive in. Here's my point. If you're going to run a play, run. If you're going to make a hit, make the hit. If you're going to get into the pool, you got to dive in. And Crossroads, I have a question for you. I have a question. If you're going to dance, how are you going to do it if you really don't want to dance? By standing on the wall. You got to get your back up off the wall, right? Right? Crossroads. Crossroads. How are you going to do it if you really don't want to dance? By standing on the wall. You got to get, get your, your back, back up, up off, off the, the wall. wall.
What you gonna do? Do you wanna get down? What you gonna do? Get your back up off the wall. So good, so good. Hey, I, I, I love the signer up there too. Did you see that? And Oh, man. Hey, I got to tell you something though. Um, it, it really was incredible. We had a cool surprise happen this morning at the 9 a.m. service. Uh, George Brown of Cool in the Gang, the guy who wrote the song, was here. And um, so he asked if he could jump in last hour. He helped play that song for us. Isn't that cool? So I just thought that was awesome. But you know what? I want to ask a question and think about it. If you're going to dance, how do you dance? As a Christian, as a follower of God, you dance with all your might, right? You don't hold back. No, I'm serious. That's what God wants from you. Why did God love David so much? Was it because he was perfect? No. Man, he had passion. And you're going to see in a minute when David danced, he danced. Why did God love Elisha so much? Because he was a man of passion. By the way, the Apostle Paul, an incredible man of passion. How about Peter? Was Peter perfect? No, but when Peter sunk, he went down big, right? I mean, uh, and, and that's the thing I want you to grab hold of is, is God loves it when you're that way. He craves for you to live like that. He created you too. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 6 that this event occurs. Uh, King David wants to bring the ark of God to Jerusalem. He, he wants it to be dead center in the, the activity of the, of the people of Israel. He wants the worship to be centered there. He wants them always to be remembering that it's only by God and his presence can they do anything. But he doesn't study well. And nobody warns David. And so what happens in trying to expedite a process, he orders the ark to be put on a cart. Now this is a big deal because God had said that the ark is only to be moved by the Levites and they're to use poles to do it. And they're to walk in a certain fashion. David decides to not do that. So the ark is put on a cart and as it begins to roll, it starts to, to teeter and almost fall. And a man reaches out to steady it and God strikes him dead. David's horrified. 
Everybody's filled with fear. They can't believe it. And they're standing there. And David doesn't know what to do. So they just move the ark to the safest place possible. And just put in the care of Obed-Edom, one of the men of Israel. And he goes away. And in the midst of the process, he begins to understand that, that he did something incorrect. And that God wants him to give everything he has and do it right. He also hears that Obed-Edom's being blessed. And so what happens now is he's going to bring the ark of God into the land of Israel. And look what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 6 verse 12. Verse 12. Now it was told King David saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him on account of the ark of God. David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David. Here's the key, with gladness, with gladness. But you've got to imagine how they felt. That, that as they get ready to move, the last people were killed. So there's got to be a, a feeling of, okay, if we got this right. There had to be some, some sense of anticipation in the midst of it. Notice what occurs in verse 13. And so it was when the bearers of the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. And David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. Notice when he danced, how did he dance? With all his might. There was no holding back in this man. If he's going to praise God, it's with everything he has. By the way, think about how God feels about that. When you and I come to love the Lord our God, how do we love the Lord our God? With all our heart, with all our might, with all our soul, with the depth of who we are. That's how David's praising God. Now notice what goes on to say here in verse 15. So David and all the house of Israel was bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of a trumpet. And then it happened as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David that Michael, the daughter of Saul, who's David's wife, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord and she despised him in her heart. Now as, she's le as he's leaping and he's literally praising with all his might. He was wearing a linen ephod. So what that meant was, here's the king of Israel jumping and dancing and his robe is flying up under the air and people can see underneath it. Now, now is that the appropriate thing to do? No, <laughs> no, no. We don't want to have a disrobing service, okay? Uh, that's not the, but, but here's the thing. Does God see past it? Does God see his heart? Does God see his intention? And even more, does God see his exuberance? The passion he has. And the answer is yes. Michael doesn't see it. Let me share this with you. And please don't miss it. Whenever, uh, we, whenever you as an individual. Or we as a church family. Get passionate about God. There's always going to be a critic. I want you to know that. And you can't let the critic deflate you. You can't let the critic steer you in the wrong direction. You can't get the critic to get you to hold back. There's always going to be a critic. By the way very often the critic's going to spiritualize their view. Michael's going to attack David right now. And here's the thing. David was loved by God. And God loved what David was doing. So Michael actually thought she was more righteous than God. I've bumped into people like that that think they're more righteous than God. That's always a problem. And you need to understand the God who loves you, the God who cares for you, he's created you to, to, to have a, a passion and extravagance in your love and relationship with him. He has it towards you. You need to have it with him. And look what it goes on to say here, starting in verse um, 17. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent which David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Further, he distributed to all the people and to all the multitude of Israel, both men and to women, a cake of bread and one of dates and one of raisins to each one. And then all the people departed each to his own house. 
But when David returned to bless his household, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel distinguished himself today. He uncovered himself today in the eyes of his servants, maids, as one of the foolish ones shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above the house, uh, his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will be more lightly esteemed than this and will be humble in my own eyes. But with the maids of whom you have spoken, with them I will be distinguished. And don't miss verse 23. Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. In other words, God is not only saying she didn't have a child, they were never intimate together again. I, I don't want you to miss what happened here. It's not because David wouldn't have forgiven her. We see that David was a very forgiving man. It's not that David did not love her. He loved her so much he risked his life to get her initially to be his wife. And then when she was taken away, he risked his life to get her back again. He loved her. He craved her. He was compassionate. He would have loved her with a passionate love. Why did it not happen? It's got to be her fault. It's got to be her own attitude. It's got to be her negativity. People who are negative like this, people who don't live with passion, end up living less than lives. A less than life. A life not even close to what it was meant to be. Not experiencing the great joys and the great victories and the great moments. People like David, though, they live life to the fullest. Not always easy. I mean, if you're a David, you're going to fight a giant. If you're a David, you're going to at times have to fight off the critic. If you're a David, there even might be moments of betrayal and enemies that rise up. But if you're a David, in the end, you're going to win. And you're going to win big. And by the way, that's what God wants for every one of you and me. He wants it for all of us. God didn't ask for you to be someone who just exists. He asked for you not to just be a conqueror. He said he wants you to be what? More than a conqueror. And he wants you to win the battles that you fight. And he wants you to be a person of victory. And he wants you to have these amazing moments with him with great, great depths of joy. David knew how to love and live and give. And he experienced the great things of God. Why? Don't miss this. Because he did it with all his might and no holding back. God's called for you to live. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and life abundantly. And if we begin to look at our lives, here's the question. Are we living are we living with everything we have? Are we loving with everything we have? It's from the depths of who we are. Are we experiencing things with God? Turn over to 2 Kings chapter 13. And I want to show you that Elisha felt this way. Uh, Elisha uh, was a man of great, great passion. And God loved him for it. And while you're turning to 2 Kings 13, let me remind you of this. Uh, the Arameans have gotten ready to attack Israel. Joash is the king. Of Israel, And he knows that they're outnumbered. He knows that, they're, that, they're, that they have training of the Arameans is better. He knows that they have more substance and weapons. And in every way, outwardly, it looks like they'll lose this battle. I mean, there's like no way they could beat the Arameans. And so here he is, knowing that probably the outcome outwardly seeking is, is that they're about to be destroyed and taken over. Now, even worse news comes. Elisha is dying. Elisha had brought victory before. Elisha had stood and literally in one moment all by himself helped defeat an army. He was the anointed one of God. He brought an anointing from God. And here was this man who was so in tune to God about to die. And without him could they even hope, possibly hope to win. And so Joash comes in before Elijah and he says to him, Oh my father, 
The chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And what is he talking about? He's talking about the, the chariots came and swept Elijah up into the air, raptured him. And Elisha is about to go and be with God. He's talking about the fact that, that who's going to defend us now? Who's going to call for the armies of God to come to our aid if you're not here? How are we going to make it? And, and in the midst of it, Elisha says, see the bow and arrows? Bring them to me. And he brings them over, and he says, put them in your hands. And Joash puts them in his hands, and Elisha lays his hands on him and says that so shall you have victory over the Arameans. God's going to give this to you. And then he said, open the window. And he opens the window, and he says, shoot the arrow. And he shoots it. And he goes, so God will take you in that direction and give you victory over the Arameans. And then he says, take the arrows and, and strike the ground. And he takes the arrows, and he strikes the ground three times and stops. Now I want you to think about this. There's no way he didn't know the symbolism. There's no way he hadn't caught that now twice before this third request that Elisha was saying, this is what God's going to do. He just beats the ground three times and stops. And, and what happens in that moment, Elisha is so upset, he's literally filled with anger. Look at verse 19, it says this. So the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Aram and you would do it until you had destroyed it. But now you shall strike them only three times. Why would you do such a thing? Why would you, who knows the living God, not give everything you have in the moment? Why would you act that way? And Elisha's beside himself. Why would you do this to him? Now I want to have you think about it. Are you someone that would beat the ground till the arrows break? Are you someone that prays with passion and you never let up praying? Are you someone that comes in and praises with everything you have from the depth of who you have? Because that's what God wants you to do. You see, God's great desire is that you and I live this way and don't hold back and don't give up. I uh, kind of had a, a, an interesting thing happen not too long ago. Because of how God's blessing and because of your faithfulness, we're going to be able to add some people onto our staff this next year. And so I, I'm so excited about it and the people who want to come on staff are so gifted and, and we're looking at the great things that God could use them to do as we all partner together. And, and one of the guys I want to bring on, man, I love this guy, Sean. And Sean, uh, he and his wife have a great marriage, young married couple, have a beautiful son. And so we're really excited to have Sean on. He's young. We want to pour into him and train him. And so he had a, a meeting set with me, an interview set with me. And Ronnie and Natalia, who love Sean, uh, they got him aside and they said, Sean, man, we really want you on staff here. So you can't blow this interview with Chuck. And they said, you can't. And, and they said, you, are you nervous? And he was like, yeah, he is so nervous, he can't stand it. And they go, okay, you can't make a mistake when you're in there today. They said, the first thing is, do not call Chuck anything other than Pastor Chuck. Because if you just call him Chuck, it's over. He won't, won't. And then Ronnie says, and don't look him in the eye. Look at the ground. So you let him... And, I, and so anyway, I, I just happened to come walking up on them at the cafe when they're like totally making this guy so scared. And I walk up and I can see something was wrong. And I, they finally break laughing and they tell me what they're doing to this guy, which is really cold. And uh, so I was laughing and I assured him that's not the case. But then I asked this. I said, what would really get me upset with Sean? Sean, do you guys, did you tell him the real issue? And they, they said they had. You ready for this? If Sean walks in my office without passion, I don't want him. I don't want anybody on staff here that doesn't have passion. And you know what? It's, it's, when someone's sitting in front of me and I look at them and say, so tell me how you're doing. If they just go, fine. Like what? 
Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. His blood cleansed you from all sin. He gives you victory after victory. He causes all things to work together for good for those who love you. And you're fine. Does that seem to make sense to you? You know, how you doing? Okay. Oh, the Holy Spirit's in you to energize you, empower you, lead you, guide you, instill joy within you, and you're okay. I mean, come on. I mean, what are we supposed to be? We're supposed to be people who beat the ground. Not three times, but seven, eight, nine, pounding it like crazy. Here, we're supposed to be a community of believers that goes and takes down the gates of hell. Right? Now, now, have you ever thought about what that means? Do you guys think about this? Where are gates found? Gates are found at the border of something. In other words, when you got in the car today, you didn't drive to church and go, honey, look out. The gates are following us. You know, I, I mean, that's, no, gates are something you go after. And God says to Peter, uh, Jesus said to Peter, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. We're called as a community of believers in this area to go and attack the gates of hell and destroy them. We can't do that if we're just okay. We can't do that if we're not directed. We can't do that if we're not committed. We've got to be all in. And that's how God's created you to be. I, I probably shouldn't be sharing this, but I'm going to go ahead real quickly. Last Thursday, I had a meeting with a group of people, a man from Lenar Homes, uh, one of the heads of the Orange County Rescue Mission, and a couple other people. And they sat down with me, and they, they said, you know what, we, we, we have something we want to share with you. We need Crossroads. We need Crossroads to take the point on this. We believe, and by the way, they have a very real reason to believe this. We believe that if Crossroads would lead out, we can eradicate homelessness from Corona and Norco completely. Now, think about that. And I sat there thinking, oh, this is incredible. And by the way, we had kind of had, had a, a few weeks ago, we got together as a leadership team and we said, God, what do you want us to do? And I already shared with you, God began to speak very clearly to every one of us. We've got to make an impact in this community. And God now is bringing people along to show us how to do it, to help us do it. I mean, could you imagine not to help the homeless, to eradicate it completely? Could you imagine that Riverside County would never be the same again if thousands of believers in God had a passionate commitment to him? I mean, right now, if we really have that commitment, the literal, the kingdom of darkness is trembling. Marriages are going to be saved. Divorce is going to be stopped. Abortion is going to be ended. People are going to be rescued from darkness. Why? Because we've chosen to rise up in the name of the living God. That's who we need to be. And Elisha says to him, go beat the ground. So you know what you and I need to do? If we're going to dance, dance with all your might. Did I look good? No. But you know what? I, I, you got to go for it. And if you're going to beat the ground, beat the ground. And how about this? If you're going to fight the giant, you go take him. Uh, Caleb. Caleb was that way. The, the spies are on the very border of the promised land that God has told them over and over. I'm going to give this land into your hands. And then what happens is they send a group of spies in to spy it out. And they come back together. And, and the majority of the spies say this. They go, we can't take this land. It, the, the cities are too fortified. There's, did you know there's Anakim in the land? Anakims are giants. Not only are they fortified, not only are they strong, there's giants in the land. And we can't win. And Caleb goes, no, we can't lose. We will surely win the victory. Let's go in. Let's take them. And you know what God says about Caleb in Numbers 14, verse uh, 24, it says this, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered and his descendants shall take possession of it. God looked at the others and said, I can't even have you in the land. I can't use you. You're, 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 you were made for, to be worthy. You were made to be victorious. You were made to be significant. But because of your attitude, I can't use you. But Caleb, I can and Caleb will 
Why? Because Caleb has a different spirit. And I hope today that God looks at you and he says, you have a different spirit. You're someone who believes. You're someone who, who throws themselves into it. You're someone who lives with everything they have. And that's the key, that you live life to the fullest. And God's great desire is for you and I to experience life that way. And it doesn't happen by holding back. So what happens 40 years later? Now Caleb is 85 years old. 85 years old. And now they're back on the, the borders of the promised land. And it's time to go in and fight. And listen to what Caleb says. He says this. Now behold, the Lord has let me live just as he spoke these 45 years from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am 85 years old today. I guess it's his birthday. I think it really was. Today I'm 85 years old and I'm ready to go. Listen to what he says. I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me as my strength was then. So my strength is now for war and for going out and for coming in. Now give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on the day you heard. The day that the Anakim were there with the great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me and I will drive them out as the Lord has spoken. Now, I don't know if you caught what he's saying. They're getting together, and they're about to go in to fight it out. And Caleb says these words. He goes, okay, I'm 85, so I want the hardest area. I'm 85. I want the strongest enemy. I'm 85, so let me take on the giants. Perhaps I'll win. If not, I'll go down and die a great death. Now, by the way, you might say, well, what if I fail? Hey, you know what? You might have some failure, but the best thing to do is if you're going to fail, go down in flames. Right? I mean, if you're going to fail, fail big. And, and by the way, when you fail big, it's always a better story to tell later. Those are where the sermon illustrations come from. Now, now think about this. Caleb said, I want the giants. By the way, David, did David want to fight a giant? You bet. See, a guy like Caleb and a guy like David, they, they, they look at giants and, and they see that everybody else is saying, we can't fight them. They're too big. We'll lose. And those two guys say, no, we can fight them. They're so big we can't miss. You know, see the difference? And God wants you to be a person who says, okay, I've got a challenge. And if you have a challenge, then I'm going to trust God for an amazing victory. I'm going to trust God to do something no one else can imagine. I'm going to trust God that if I get hurt and hit, that the heartache that comes from it is going to be something he's going to turn to something miraculous and incredible. And I'm not going to hold back. And if you had 30 days to live, what I'm telling you, live with passion. And if you have three years to live, live with passion. And if you have 40 more years to live like Caleb, then you go take it and do it with passion. That's what God loves. He says that's a different spirit than most. That's different than the average person. It's living to the highest. Besides Jesus, the wisest man who ever lived was Solomon. Nobody was wiser than Jesus, but beyond Jesus, no one was wiser than Solomon. And, and listen to what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 9.10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you're going. Did you hear that? God says to you, God says to me, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Don't, don't do it halfway. That's God. By the way, this is a command. This isn't a suggestion. God's saying, I want you to do that. So that means that, you know what, if you're a dad and you get to spend time with your kids, do it with all your might. Give your attention to them. Give your focus to them. Be the greatest dad in that moment you can be. And as you build on that, you'll be the greatest dad ever. If you're a, a wife, you know what, love your husband. 
And, and you love them with everything you've got. And by the way, husbands, man, love your wives with everything you have. I told Pam today, you know, after hearing this sermon, no more just pecks, man. When I kiss you, I'm going to kiss you. You know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's biblical, okay? And, uh, and, and you know what? That, think about it. If I'm going to be a senior leader, should I, I've got to do it with everything I've got. And I've got to encourage my team to be everything they're meant to be. See, that's God's great desire and passion for you and me, to have passion, to have lives that matter. Before you were ever created, God planned for you to do amazing things. There isn't one person in this room today that God created you to be a failure. And there isn't one person in this room today, he created you for anything less than being amazingly significant and living a life that matters. The question is, do we want it? Before the foundation of the world, he planned things for you and me. And the thing is, are we going to grab it? And Paul wants us to do that. Paul was a man like that. Listen to the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 to 27. He says this, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Now, before I read on, don't miss this. In the day Paul wrote this, there was no second place. There was no silver medal. There was no bronze. They didn't celebrate anybody but the victor. So you know what Paul said? So if you're going to run in a race, you know what I want you to do? Listen to these words. Run in such a way that you may win. You run for victory. You give it everything you have. You don't leave anything behind. He goes on to say, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They... They then do it to receive a perishable wreath. We do it an imperishable wreath. Therefore, he says, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I might not be disqualified. Did you hear what he said? Paul said, man, I'm the kind of guy when I run, I give it everything I have and I'm going to win somehow. And he says, when I box, I don't just kind of throw it out there. Man, I'm going to land the punch. I'm going to throw it in such a way that I hit something and I hit it hard. Have you caught what God is saying? Over and over again, this is who you were made to be. This is the life you're meant to live. And God's great desire is you live it. Colossians 3 verse 23 and 24, Paul says this. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive your reward of inheritance. It is the Lord whom you serve. The word heartily is a very interesting word. It literally means with all your heart and soul. I don't know why it wasn't translated that way. Most of you, if your Bibles have a little footnote, it says literally from the depth of the soul. God says, I want you to do something. Paul's crying out God's word. I want you to do whatever you do with all your heart and with all your soul and let that always mark you. That you're not halfway. You're not lukewarm. You're not just okay. That you're in it. You're committed and if you're going to do something, you're going to give her everything you've got. God says when you live like this, this is the life you were meant to live. And you're going to find his plan for you in an amazing way. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 12 verses 9 through 11. It says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. He says, don't you ever lag. Don't you ever lag in diligence. You be a diligent person. You stick to it and you get it done. And then he says how to do that fervently with great, great passion. Because you've got to grab this. Don't miss it. Nothing sickens God more than a lukewarm attitude. Nothing sickens God more than a lukewarm attitude. Especially from someone who says they know him. When we're just like, oh, okay, I'll kind of do it. God's like, what, what's going on? Well, I guess I'll pray. 
What? Well, I might read the word once or twice. What? Well, I might get involved. What? Is that who you were created to be, the might? Well, I'll do a little. You know, what, what good is that? And by the way, when I use the word sicken, I mean it. it literally makes God sick. He loves you so much he doesn't want it to be a waste. It makes God sick. What did Jesus say to the church of Laodicea? Listen to these words. In verse chapter 3 of Revelation, verses 15 and 16, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. And if you've been a Christian very long, you already know this. The word spit is the Greek word to vomit. It means Jesus said, you make me so sick, I, I just want to throw up. Why? Because you were made for more than this. And if, I would rather you hate me. I'd rather you be cold to me. Then, then act just like, okay, I, I want you to have passion. I want you to live. I want you to throw yourself in it. I want fervency from you. And when you live like that, man, it's incredible. Now, I'm not telling you you have to all have an extroverted personality like I have. I, and I'm not saying you have to have the same enthusiasm that I have in, in things. Matter of fact, a lot of you look at me and go, I don't even want to be close to that. But, but, but here's the thing. No matter what your personality is, you still are made to be passionate. You're still made to be the best you can be. You're still made to get everything you have. And here's why. God has a plan for you. And we talk about that all the time. But I want to have you catch the whole context of it. In Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. But listen to what he goes on to say. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your what? Let's try it together with all your what? Yeah, yeah, not half-hearted. Not half-hearted. He said, you know what? I got a plan for you. And you say, God, I want the plan. He says, then you pray and you really call. And then you come after me with all your heart. Now, don't miss this. God is desperate to have a relationship with you. God is desperate in his love for you. God wants to move heaven and earth to draw you close to him and to pour love upon you, cleanse you from all your sins, cause you to stand like you've never stood before, cause you to live life that's amazing. God's desperate for that. And he says, I want you to show the same desperate attitude back to me. God was extravagant in his love. So we need to have the same extravagance in our love. But how do we get it? We call to him. We pray to him. We seek him. And we'll find when we do it all heart, all heart and soul, everything we have. I want to ask you a question today. Are you living this life? Are you experiencing these things? And if God did have someone give you notice, you've got 30 days left. Man, I think you'd give everything you had, so we don't know how long we have left. We may not have a, another heartbeat or another breath, but everyone you get ought to beat with passion, and you ought to breathe deep, and you ought to live to the fullest, and that's God's desire. And I want you to know right now that that if you're not experiencing him in a very real, in a very passionate way, I mean really experiencing God, really living with him and for him, then, then here's what God would want you to do. It's already, we just read it, call to me. Pray to me. And, and God says, I'm going to answer. Seek after me. And so today, with, if you would pray with the, every bit of what's within you and within your heart and say, God, I want to be yours and yours completely. And I want the forgiveness and I want the love and I want the life and I want to know you and I want to live with you. If you would say words like that to him, he's going to answer. And in a minute, we're going to go to a time of prayer and I'm going to give you a chance today that if you want to pray a prayer to say yes to God for the first time, or maybe for some of you, it's to come back. Come back to this amazing life. Come back to this first love. Come back to being who you were meant to be. I'm going to ask you to pray that prayer with me. 
And if you do, God's going to say yes. If you do, he's going to grab you. And your life is not going to be the same. I mean, this is a day of change. And it can be incredible. So I'm hoping today that God's spirit touches you. If you're not close to him, if you're not passionately committed and intimate with him, I hope today you're going to say yes. Because he wants it. Let's pray. Father, I pray and ask right now that your Holy Spirit would cause our church, our family, our community to be bound together in unity and in unity of your purpose and your call that we might make a difference in this area for you. That God, because we are of the light, the darkness would flee. Because we want hope to arise, darkness trembles. And we pray today that we would make an impact in this area because, Lord, if thousands of us gather together in your name and we say yes to you and we throw ourselves into everything we're supposed to be, it's going to literally cause a spiritual earthquake to occur. And, God, it means that people's lives are going to be touched and changed. It means that people are going to find hope. People are going to be rescued. Some are going to be set free. And, God, you want us to be a part of that together. And not just that, Lord. You want us to live. You want us to be able to look at a sunrise and sunset and know it's from you. You want us to be able to throw our arms around family members and friends and, and experience deep, deep, passionate love and intimacy with them. And God, I pray that we would understand that's the greatest calling we have in our life to love you and love others. So God, please, please help us to be that church, your church. And Father, now, I ask for your Holy Spirit to come. May your Holy Spirit literally fill this room and touch each one of us. And Lord, I pray especially for the person today, the man or the woman, the guy or the girl that needs to say yes to you. I pray, Lord, they can sense you stirring inside. And I pray they would know that this is their moment, whether it's the first time or to come back. And God, today's the day they say yes. Today's the day they say they want in. Today's the day they say they want to start living with you and for you and, and being who you created them to be and living that life. Jesus, I know you died to make this possible. Please touch now and draw. Together, start to say this to God. Say, say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurts, to make me alive, to make me new, and to make me yours. And I say yes. I want this, and I want you. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love, and fill me with your spirit, and help me be who you created me to be, and help me live the life you have for me to live. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Wow, praise God. <laughs>